Jenny Quiner, welcome to Startup Stories. Thanks for being here today. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Today we are talking urban farming, which in Iowa seems a little weird since we have so much farmland. So Jenny, let's just start off. Talk to us about what is an urban farm and how did Dog Patch get started? Yeah, so uh, we are located right in, uh, we're in Des Moines. So we're kind of a unique little pocket, actually. Our address is Des Moines, but we're unincorporated Polk County. Uh, but we've been farming for six seasons now. And each year the farm changes and evolves. Uh, but, you know, you think of urban farm, it's kind of self-explanatory. So we're in a highly uh, populated area. So there's a uh, pros and cons to that, but we see a lot of benefits mainly because we're right by our customers. You know, you think of farms that are very rural off a country road, they have to transport and commute quite a bit. Uh, with our farm being urban, people can come to our farm and experience it. So it's really uh, a huge perk of our business. So I know you didn't just wake up and become a farmer. <laughs> Your life has been leading you up to this. How did you get into farming and what did you do before? Yeah, so I really, before starting this business, did not have a farming background. So the path I took is not what I would highly recommend, but it somehow has worked out for us. Um, so I grew up here in Des Moines. My dad's a business guy. My mom was a nurse. And um, my background is really in health and education. So before starting the farm, I was a high school science teacher at Dowling Catholic High School and taught there for six years loved it. Uh, but in those six years, I had my three boys and just felt life pulling me in different directions. And um, I taught environmental science and always loved talking about uh, local foods with my students, whether they cared or not, I was into it. And uh, slowly this idea of urban farming kind of emerged. Uh, it wasn't like growing up, I always wanted to do this, but we, my husband and I saw this opportunity. And so here we are today. And talk to us a little bit about your husband, because I feel like he's part of a story and why you landed where you landed. Yes, for sure. So Eric is his name and he is uh, he doesn't get enough credit for the farm, but he does a lot to allow this business to be what it is today. Um, he is a real estate agent, so he sells commercial real estate, but he's kind of the jack of all trades. He's a businessman through and through. So he has done so much behind the scenes for the farm. And your farm is on the north side of Des Moines. Again, you kind of talked about a little bit, you have a Des Moines address, but you're Polk County. So why did that location end up working out well for you guys? Well, frankly, the reason we bought the property is because it's in the neighborhood that we live in. So we live two blocks away from the farm. Uh, you know, so getting to work is pretty easy each day. And it's, it's our community. It's where I live. It's where my kids grow up. It's where they go to school. And our mission really is to enhance and make our community better. So if the farm was 20 minutes away from us, we could still do it, but it wouldn't have as much value as where it does for us now. So let's get into what you guys actually farm. Tell us a little bit about what you plant, how you decided on that, and where all you take that after you mm -hmm. harvest it. Yeah. So we really have um, been known for our salad greens. That's one of our uh, biggest crops. So, and it's diverse in what greens are. So lettuce, kales, arugula, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, so those are our key crops, but then we also grow tomatoes, which if you've had a vine ripened tomato, you know, there's nothing better. So there's a huge market for that. Um, and then we do have some auxiliary crops like carrots and beets and herbs, but we are not super diverse in what we grow. 
So we don't grow onions. We don't grow Brussels sprouts and so on. And the main reason for that is our land size. So we don't have acres upon acres. We grow on about half of an acre. And if we're trying to be a profitable business, we have to be very uh, selective with the crops that we grow. Um, how much money can they make for us in, a sm- in the fastest amount of time? So that's the main reason we grow what we grow. So talk to us about lettuce. You said fastest amount, able to kind of continue to grow. Talk to us about what your growing season looks like. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have um, some high tunnels and caterpillar tunnels, and you can think of them as like greenhouses that aren't heated and they're structures that allow us to extend our season. So um, we will be pulling, we'll have greens now through Christmas and we could actually go a little bit longer, but I intentionally like to take a little time off. Um, And then come early March, we'll start transplanting again into our tunnels and protected um, structures. So we really have product, I would say, April through December. So you can basically plant and replant and harvest and harvest and harvest. Yeah, yeah. And, And frankly, like with our beds, each bed gets planted two to four times a season. We really don't have any fallow ground. Um, we have to be very, uh, intensive with how we're growing in order to make enough money to be a viable business. So talk to us a little bit. I, people always want to know where did the name come from? How did you decide on that and why has it stuck with you? Well, naming a business is not easy. And honestly, (laughs) the reason, so it's named dog patch because that's the neighborhood we're in. It's known as the dog patch. And so for us, when we came upon this idea, it's like, well, we love our community. We want to be recognized by our community. So let's name it after our community. And then um, urban gardens fit and worked because when you abbreviate it, it's Doug and that works well for farming. So it all just kind of naturally feels like it was the right fit. So you thought about it really hard and came up with this perfect science. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was like when we look back six years ago to all the different names and all that, it was like the obvious one was right in front of us the whole time. I know. I always tease people because I, again, you usually have that gut feeling of what you think it should be. And it comes back to that. So you mentioned um, your husband, you've got three adorable little boys. Life is always happening in the back of entrepreneurship. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to own a family business, how you keep all these balls in the air. And again, farming, there's, there's no days off. I mean, you got to pull that out. You've got to deal with weather. Talk to us a little bit about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. I mean, frankly, it's a lot. And, you know, you you hear the joke, like you become an entrepreneur so you can leave your nine to five, but then end up working 24 hours a day, you know, (laughs) and um, it's true. And there are, there are hardships, there are hard hard times, but there's also so many benefits to what we're doing. Um, So there's, there's this really ebb and flow with farming and uh, workload. So summers are crazy for us. You know, your head spinning, the to-do list is always getting longer rather than shorter. But now as we transition into fall and into winter, things slow down. We get to rejuvenate. We get to take a step back, analyze the business. I'm actually probably going to have knee surgery in about a month. So, you know, I can heal and rest in order to prep for the craziness of the seasons of farming. And yes, it's a lot, but we also knew what we were getting ourselves into. You know, we uh, knew, for example, that I left a a stable teaching job. I left health insurance. I left benefits to create this life that we wanted for ourselves and our family. Uh, You know, we get to raise our boys in this entrepreneurial spirit 
And it's fun to see their brains work. Uh, for example, we uh, just recently hosted a pop-up at the farm where we had a couple pie producers come and we had a huge line. People waited an hour just for pie. It was really cool. And my 10 year old looks at me and he's like, we should have done a lemonade stand. We would have made a lot of money if we would have hosted, a lemonade stand, you know, <laughs> and uh, I got the biggest kick out of it because you can see their wheels spinning and we maybe we're breeding some budding entrepreneurs, maybe not, but it's, I think it's a really neat way to raise our kids. And that's what both my husband and I really enjoy with the world we're in. Yeah. They got two great example, two entrepreneurs for parents. I think they're, they're budding in there and yeah, they should have, they should have sold uh, lemonade. I will back that any day. We missed an opportunity. <laughs> you are more than a farm though. You're more than just planting. You have multiple revenue streams um, that keeps your farm going and more than your farm, I should say, it keeps your business going. Talk to us about the other uh, business ventures that you have as part of your urban farm. Yeah, that's very true. And, and actually, as the, the business evolves and moves on, we're, we still totally have that farm identity, but I'm getting pulled away from the field into other parts of the business. So um, our biggest kind of most recent thing is our salad dressing. So about a year ago, we created a line of healthy salad dressings to kind of naturally fit with the salad greens that we grow. And uh, four or five months ago, we got picked up by multiple high V stores throughout the Midwest. And so we've just seen this huge progression of, you know, just making salad dressings in our commercial kitchen at the farm to now working with a co-packer in distribution. So that's a whole new enterprise. Um, at the farm, we have an Airbnb, which we call the urban farm stay. So, um, you know, we manage that, but we also have like a crew that cleans it and helps with that. So it's not, you know, all, all on us. Uh, we also have gotten more into agritourism and one popular thing we do are farm to table dinners uh, at the farm. So we get some great chefs in Des Moines. Uh, we have, usually it's about 40 people. It's a higher end, you know, five course uh, meal. And those are some of our favorite things to do because when you're in the hustle and the grind of your business, sometimes you don't get a chance to really enjoy what you're doing. But when we get to host people and talk to them and get to know them, at the farm. We truly enjoy that. Uh, so yeah, those are some things that we've got going on. And then we're in the process of expanding too. So like I said, our business has each year changes and evolves. Um, even next year, we're going to add you pick flowers and drop some crops. So, you know, we're always seeing what makes the most sense for what we're doing. I love it. And I feel like that's why you guys have been so successful is, you know, you fell in love with one piece of it, but you're, you really, really, you guys always pop your head up and look around to see what's coming next at you. And she mentioned six years of owning this and we're almost two years into COVID. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about, I mean, the good thing that came out of that was the salad dressing, but you guys also have a farm stand. Right. So yep. talk to us a little bit about the impacts that COVID had on you guys um, and some of the good things that Again, we've mentioned the salad dressing that came out of it. Yeah. So I would say we're one of those unique businesses that actually um, thrived during COVID, which is it's strange to say, but um, there was a big push and movement towards local food. And we, like you said, we have a farm stand, which is I described as like a locally sourced grocery store. And what we did is we were able to eliminate in-person shopping, but we shifted everything to online with contactless pickup. And it wasn't easy. You know, we figured out this whole new business model in like two weeks and there were bumps and there were bruises, but 
Uh, we were able to reach our customers. We have a great email list. So, you know, we launched pretty easily. And uh, throughout the whole year, people were huge supporters. Actually, we had one day, people waited in line like an hour to get their groceries, you know, to drive their car into our farm. We loaded into their trunk and they left and we felt bad, you know. So every time someone would come, we'd apologize. Sorry for the wait. They're like, no, this is great. This is an excuse to get out of the house, you know. So <laughs> people, people just understood and were really uh, welcoming to what we had done. So so we had this huge uh, burst during COVID. And then the question was, you know, would it stick? You know, when grocery stores open back up, when there wasn't this scare of meat shortage, would people still shop the way they were shopping? And frankly, the answer is no. So uh, we don't do the contactless pickup anymore. Our online sales have dropped, but we're still doing better this year than we did last year. You know, so we reach new customers and then it's like, okay, well, how can we continue to adjust, continue to evolve to what they want? And uh, so, like I said, we're this unique business that COVID had actually benefited um, us. And I know that's not common, um, but I'm just proud of how we were able to adjust and, you know, the classic word pivot to the circumstances. So you touched on the expansion, mm-hmm. just barely. I want to yeah. dive into that because this is not a little expansion. This is big. And talk yes. to us a little bit about what that means and some of the challenges that you're going to face and some of the, the things that you need to do to be able to expand. Yeah. So this is super fresh. So as of... It's hot off the press. <laughs> it is hot off the press. So we, to summarize what we're doing, we're purchasing a parking lot that's next door to the farm. Um, and it was previously owned by a church across the street. That church has um, sold their campus and they reunified with a different church uh, with their other campus in a different part of town. That was an overflow lot. They have a great big lot in the back. And uh, we basically had a contract with them already that we could use their lot, um, you know, during business and so on. But knowing that it was for sale, one, we were excited about the idea of expansion. But two, we were concerned that someone if someone else purchased that lot and we weren't able to use it, it would have a very negative impact on our business. So we, uh, the stars aligned, uh, the church agreed to sell us the lot. We have, um, the purchase agreement is signed. We just have to officially like get it submitted. And so by the end of the week, it should be in our name. Um, so what that means, so we're adding 1.25 acres of property to our farm, uh, which is doubling our farm space. Now, Most of it's cement, which is we're going to keep it. And our master plan is to build three heated greenhouses so that we can do spring plant sales. Um, And we that would facilitate us to do more like pumpkin and seasonal sales, even Christmas trees. So um, tap more into the agritourism well, agritourism market and be able to host more pop ups and more events. So we're kind of like the sky's the limit with the new opportunities that this will present us. Talk to us about the zoning and what you need to do, because since you, again, have a Des Moines address, but you're in Polk County, talk to us about what you're facing and what that looks like as an entrepreneur, what you need to do. Um, So planning and zoning is kind of a tricky thing for us to navigate. We, We dealt with some hurdles with our initial farm, and we knew that if we were going to purchase this lot, that we'd have to deal with planning and zoning again. We also fully acknowledge that we understand how to work with the local entity better now after dealing with this three years ago. So before purchasing the lot, uh, my husband, Eric, sat down with two guys in Polk County planning and zoning, the Polk County supervisor and also an administrator. And 
they just had a conversation like, this is what we want to do. This is our big picture plan. How can we work together to get this done? Because frankly, this is a good thing for the community. Um, we've got this petition going right now because, so the county said, well, let's rezone. Now, we won't know if that can officially happen until we have our meeting with the county, but based on their suggestion, we'll rezone from residential to commercial. So if everything goes as planned, that'll be fantastic. We'll hit the ground running. But we still created this petition to help show the support from our community. And within two days, we've had, I think we're at like maybe 600 responses. And the comments that people are, are providing are just so amazing and really like heartfelt. It makes us feel good because it's just, this is something we need. This is good for the community. So um, we're really excited about how we're already seeing our community rally for us. And frankly, we feel pretty good that the county's in favor of what we're doing. So I don't think this is going to be a lot of hardship, but there's still that unknown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are things like when you sign up to be an entrepreneur, you never think you're going to have to do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and it's one of those, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you're right. in the and you're like, oh. And the tricky part with us is we're such a unique business, um, this urban farm with all these other enterprises. So it's hard for the county to fully regulate us in a lot of ways. So it can get a little subjective, which can be a blessing, but also a curse. Okay, let's talk about, you mentioned good for the community and you are good for the community because in your farm stand and you mentioned your pop-up, you work with other small businesses. Tell us how that started, why it's important to you because you're extremely passionate about it. Yeah, no, and and I, I thank you for saying that because that is a big part of our business because it's not just about us. You know, we're trying to uplift other growers, other producers, other makers that are doing similar things that we are. And we see our business as a long game. You know, this isn't something that we want to have for 10 years and then move on. Like we're building this with the hopes that someday our kids will want to do something with it. But, you know, we all know that uh, <laughs> the second you depend on that, they're like ready to just sell it and be done, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, our farm stand is, like I said, kind of like a locally sourced grocery store. So we don't grow everything, like I mentioned earlier. So we get Brussels sprouts, we get sweet potatoes from other local farmers. Um, we diversified our shelves quite a bit. So we're working with makers in Minnesota, Wisconsin, all still in the Midwest, all still small scale, a lot of farm or sorry, a lot of family based businesses that we want to uplift and introduce to other people in the community, too. Uh, and yeah, you know, we're doing pop-ups. We're going to be partnering with Eat Greater Des Moines. Uh, to, there's a, a free food pantry currently on the parking lot we're purchasing, and we're going to enhance that to make it better, um, to have more food offerings, to have um, better um, temperature control for the food. So we're just trying to make it a place for everyone to uh, be happy and successful. Jenny, you guys have such a big following. How do you advertise I wish I could have like tell you this great uh, story of, of, you know, this is what you do. But frankly, um, I don't I don't know. <laughs> so, um, OK, so let me backtrack. So one key thing is our email marketing. Um, I send an email every Saturday morning at 6 a.m. And our email list has grown exponentially. We have like a 40 percent reader rate, which is pretty good in our industry. Um, and I, I really think that is our most valuable marketing tool. Now, you know, it's it's not shiny, you don't see it on social media, but the people that really 
want to know the ins and outs of our farm business and family are reading those emails. Um, like for example, we got a puppy recently and like, she's, she's plastered on social media because she's adorable, but <laughs> she is adorable. She is. Yes. But the, um, you know, we, the backstory and the history and like why we got her, we share more in the newsletter and the, you know, so the newsletter gives more the insider feel of our business and our customers really enjoy that. So I would say that's our most valuable marketing tool. Uh, I do use Facebook. I do use Instagram. Um, and I think for me, it's just being present and being consistent. So, and, you know, we're a farm. So we have beautiful, happy things going on. Like <laughs> you too. Yeah. So like, here's a beautiful head of romaine lettuce. It's like, it's not like I have to like really try to create beautiful imagery. So, and that's really helpful too. I would also add uh, your word of mouth is huge. I feel like because these people relate to you, they read your emails, they share those stories and your mm -hmm. word of mouth following is tremendous. You have quite the uh, warriors behind you that support you and tell your stories. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And and I think, and you know, they, because they know more of the backstory of the business and they're more bought into it, they want to see us be successful and they're happy to share with others. 100%. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned some expansions. Um, we, I know that's going to go great for you guys. You've mentioned the Hy-Vee line. What mm -hmm. else is kind of tipping out there that you've seen? I know you follow a lot of urban farms, something that you're exploring or considering as you move forward. Yeah. So um, I, I briefly touched on this, but we're going to add uh, flowers next year. So we, we dabbled in it a little bit this year and real simple things like sunflowers and zinnias. And we'd put bouquets together and take them to the downtown Des Moines farmers market. Uh, this was our first year at the market. And so it was kind of like a, a little trial to see if they were popular and they were popular. We'll say that. So we have, um, we've decided and we've, we acknowledge that people love to come to the farm, especially because we're urban and, you know, families raise their kids in the city and the kids don't really get experience where food is grown or how it's grown. So we're going to convert one of our main plots into a you pick flower farm this year. And we're going to invite people to come to the farm and also experience and harvest some of their own products. So um, we think the demand is there. And if, if we find, if we trial this and it doesn't go as well as we thought, it's not a huge, like we don't change infrastructure. All we're doing is buying different seed. So if it, if it works, awesome. If it doesn't work as well, it's not like we're making this huge business shift where we're in trouble. So I think it'll be a fun new avenue that we explore. I think it'll be great. Mm -hmm. So I want to circle back as we wrap up here. You mentioned your science teacher knew nothing about farming. I have people come to me all the time that have a great idea. And then they say, but I'm scared because I know nothing about it. Mm -hmm. So what's your advice to people who want to start a business, but they're not diversified in the field? What would you tell them? Yeah. So uh, for me, it's, you can never learn enough. And so I started out, I took this online course from a well-known farmer in Canada. And um, I never thought that like that would spearhead me being where I am today, but I piggybacked on someone else's successful business elsewhere and brought a lot of his models here, but adapted it to my customers. So um, I think finding other people that are successful in the line that you're interested in can be really valuable and finding those mentors, finding those organiz organizations of people that you can, you know, rely on for help. I would agree. Well, Jenny, I know that people want to be able to find you and you mentioned you're in a handful of hy which is not a handful. How many hy stores are you in? 
Um, I would it's it's over a hundred. Um, it it ebbs and flows, but our initial order there was over a hundred stores, and and we're hopeful to get more. To be honest with you. Perfect. And those are around the metro area. So if you want to support Jenny, swing into the Hy-Vee, specifically grab somebody and ask for the product by name. We find out that that helps quite a bit. And then Jenny, if they want to pop out to or recommend your um, Airbnb, where can they find you at for more information about you and your farm? Yeah. So our website is dogpatchurbangardens.com. And that's really where you're going to find all the hunk of information that you need. Um, our farm store, this is new this year. We will be open through the winter. Typically we close down after the holidays, um, but people say they want to keep shopping. So you can, you can still work and shop with us this winter now too. That'll be great. Jenny, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much. It was great chatting. Thanks for listening to Small Business and Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by these stories, we offer a hub full of resources needed for any small business owner to grow and succeed in Greater Des Moines, Iowa at dsmpartnership.com backslash small business. Thanks for listening.